it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. This week, I have a great conversation with brewer Matt Brynaldson. Matt, as I'm sure you know, is brewmaster at California's Firestone Walker Brewery. He is one of those brewers that is quietly revered by other brewers, and I was lucky to get to catch up with him in advance of his upcoming trip to Australia. He will be here for HPA's Hop Harvest, and of interest to Australian brewers, also speaking at the High Country Hop Technical Symposium, where he will be speaking on the topic of hop quality and optimising hop impact, a field-to-glass approach. Matt is perfectly placed to speak about this. He moved into brewing from a job as a hop chemist, and he has been heavily involved, apart from brewing, in teaching about hops through the Master Brewers Association of America and the US-based Hop Quality Group, something that we discuss in this conversation. Such is his love of and commitment to hops. Last year, Matt was awarded the Order of the Hop at the International Hop Congress in Prague, only the second US brewer to be so honoured. We talk a little bit about this as well. But in this conversation, you will hear Matt talk about that and so much more, about the evolution of hops in brewing and some thoughts on where we are and where brewers are heading. More than anything, it will give you a taste of what you'll hear if you are happy enough to be at the High Country Hop Festival and listen to him at the Technical Symposium. I hope you enjoy my chat with Matt Brynaldson. Matt Brynaldson, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you from the other side of planet Earth in the moment. <laughs> well, and, and that's the unfortunate thing. When you have a conversation about beer, it's best done over a beer. But in this case, we're talking to you before you do come and join us in Australia, uh, where you're coming down, for amongst other things, to tour the hop fields and also speak at the High Country Hop Symposium. Yeah, um, that was the kind of the impetus for the trip. And I'm going to be there during the hop harvest. So I'm really excited to see kind of the, the hop farms in action while I'm down there and uh, obviously taste some great beers as well along the way. I think there are few brewers who are as associated with hops these days as, as you are, um, both through Firestone Walker, but also you're recognized for that last year being awarded the Order of the Hop. Um, which is, it sounds like a very, very august uh, award to receive. Yeah, knighted in the order of the hop. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the ceremony took place in Prague at the International Hop Growers Conference this past summer. And yeah, it's, it's to tell you a little bit of the background, I mean, it's usually an award that is given to someone in the hop industry, most of the time to a hop grower. And in many cases, these are multi-generational, you know, uh, family growers. So it was an extra honor to be a brewer and to be brought into that kind of uh, elite club. And uh, one other brewer that I'm aware of received the award, and that was Steve Dressler from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to be associated with something that he's involved with for sure. 
that's some some very very esteemed company. What form does the award take? You know, do you kneel and you're knighted with a sword and it's a rise, Sir Matt? Well, nothing quite like that, but I, they, you know, they uh, <laughs> they put a pin on your lapel and um, you know you're part of that group. And I think when you return for other hop conferences, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe I drink out of a different mug or something. I'm not sure. Exactly. <laughs> now I'm reason- sure. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the the main reason why I received the award. So, um, the different hop growing communities around the world, and and in here in the United States, we have the Hop Growers of America or USA Hops. You know, that's the non for profit group that um, you know lobbies for, you know, works for, communicates for the U.S. growers. Um, there's about oh, there's fewer than a hundred core growers here in the United States. The average farm is quite large. So although we're the the largest producer of hops, there's not that many grower families. So Hop Growers of America kind of represents that group. And probably something like 15 years ago, I took the call to do some teaching for Hop Growers of America. And that involved jumping on a plane and flying around the world. I went down to South America. Um, I spent some time in Central Europe. Um, I did make a trip to Australia on behalf of Hop Growers of America and usually would go to places that they're, that brewers would be um, communing, you know, conferences, things like that. Oftentimes I was going directly to schools and universities, mostly brewing schools like Weinstefan, uh, Domans, TU Berlin, some of these types of schools and teach specifically to brewing students and brewers on the subject of hops. And I, and I did that for many, many years. And it was, you know, it, it was not hard work for me. It was, it was really a, a labor of love. I got to travel and talk about hops. Um, and so after doing that for about 15 years, the Hop Growers of America um, nominated me and then this large organization, the International Hop Group, um, ultimately uh, knighted me. <laughs> it, it's a great story. And, and I often think it's some of that element of the industry that beer misses out on a little bit too much. The wine industry is very good at introducing that reverence uh, to it. Uh, and, and I'm sure if it was a wine industry award, the order of the grape, there would have been a velvet pillow and a sword involved in it <laughs> somehow. Um, but beer is a very different product. But at the same time, I, I, I think, um, you know, celebrating in that way adds something to, to, to the industry as well and adds a little bit of reverence, even if we don't take it too seriously as beer drinkers. Yeah. I mean, well, in beer, maybe we've taken a little different tact. We have these competitions like World Beer Cup, European Beer Star. In the United States, we have Great American Beer Festival. And, you know, some brewers aren't that into competitions. I totally get it. Um, but I've really enjoyed participating in those. And I always say it's 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 at least one time of the year when you're we're putting your beers together to enter that you're really paying attention to how they line up you know not only to your peers but just according to style guidelines and all these other things maybe we pay a little more attention to those batches that we're getting to to enter into competition and think about making tweaks to our recipes but more importantly there's this networking element to kind of 
forces us all to fly to Denver in the case of Great American Beer Festival or to Nuremberg for Brau for, you know, European Beer Star. And it's in those moments when I'm able to rub shoulders with and talk a little shop with brewers from around the world that, you know, I wouldn't have flown there for any other reason. And so it, it really forces some networking. And I think maybe the Order of the Hops is something similar to that. I wouldn't have gone to Prague that week had I not received that <laughs> award. And I met more amazing continental European hop farmers and other hop farmers from around the world than I ever would have thought. Um, so it was, a, it was an incredible experience um, just for that reason. Congratulations. And uh, the, the, the other group that you're a, a part of and part of the reason you're presenting down here is a group called the Hop Quality Group, who are, I, I believe, um, auspicing uh, your, your presentation at the symposium. And it was a group that I wasn't aware of until uh, your speaking engagement was announced. So maybe tell us a little bit about what the Hop Quality Group is. Yeah. And I mean, I'll try to keep it brief in terms of the history, but the Hop Quality Group has been around for a little over 10 years. Um, and the the genesis or we formed, I think there were a number of us that, that went to a Master Brewers of Asso- uh, Association meeting of the Americas on the East Coast. And we were sitting around having a beer and we were talking about the recent merger of ABI. And this was at the time, you know, Stella Artois from Belgium and that group um, basically buying the shares of Anheuser-Busch and taking over this what, it, what was at the time the largest brewer and probably still is in the United States. And what most brewers probably didn't realize at that time, but AB had one of the uh, most developed hop quality programs in the industry, if not the world. I mean, they have a, a hop farm in Hollertau in Germany. They have a hop farm that they own and operate in Idaho. Um, they've done a ton of research. They had full-time employees who spent you know, most of their time in these growing regions around the world, managing quality for their brewery, communicating to brewers, telling them what AB hops needed to be, the specs that they were trying to hit, and really just trying to work with growers on best practices. And when the merger happened, the entire group that represented the hop quality piece for AB um, left the company. And so we just had this conversation over beers about that. And we started to think about, you know, we've been riding the coattails of this larger brewer for so long and everything that growers were working towards in terms of quality was mainly influenced by the larger brewers in the United States. Of course, Miller Brewing had a similar program, et cetera, et cetera. And craft brewers think about hops and use hops in such a different way than you know, continental lager or American light lager brewers. You know, most of those hops are going into the kettle and being boiled. Most of those hops are, you know, the, the main focus is alpha. The main focus are other things than craft brewers who are very interested in volatile oils. And we're very interested in using these hops downstream on the cold side, you know. Um, so, so suddenly our needs and what we're looking for. And and we had this motto, it's like oils over alpha that, you know, we really wanted to impress upon growers if we could that, you know, let the hops hang a little bit longer. We want to select based on aroma, not on alpha. It's not a beauty contest. It's really an aroma (laughs) contest, et cetera. So um, we were like, how, how do we do this? How do we as small brewers 
have any influence on this larger grower group. And so we formed the Hop Quality Group, which essentially gave us the mass um, in terms of numbers of people and barrels brewed. And breweries like Sierra Nevada, Deschutes, New Glarus, Firestone Walker, Stone, Russian River, um, Boulevard Brewing Company were some of the foundational breweries who got together. And there were about 10 of us in the early days. We're now over 60 breweries strong and adding to our membership. And we're starting to have some, what we feel is positive influence and positive relationship building within the U.S. growing group. And now we're kind of spreading our wings a little bit. Um, We sent our first um, group over to Germany for the last harvest. Um, some of us will be present in Australia this year during the harvest, not necessarily doing business per se, but just kind of getting feet on boots on the ground and getting to know some folks. Um, and we'll be spending some time in New Zealand as well. So, you know, our, we're a non-for-profit. We're, we're, we don't really care or talk about the price of hops. We don't really um, discuss supply-related issues. It's a focus 100% on quality with this mindset that hops are a food product, just like the barley malt that goes into our beers. And we want to be able to communicate with growers, um, best practices, and most importantly, what's what's important to us as craft brewers um, and users of these hops and, and brewers yeah, of the beer. It's been interesting to watch our understanding of the chemistry of hops evolve over the last 10 or 15 years. You know, I'm always struck by the conversation that was, you know, back when people were debating what is craft and it was like almost, you know, brewing by feel and brewing by, uh, you know, instinct. And yet over the last 10 to 15 years, we've come to understand exactly, well, in fact, we've started to the process of coming to understand how hops transform in in, in the brew house and how the flavors are derived. Um, it, has, has that seen a change in, you know, moving from something, a nice little uh, saying like oils over alpha to uh, thiols over, <laughs> you know, or, or has the conversation about what is quality changed? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think, you know, in the context of the hot quality group, we were initially... Um, you know, really out of the gates, we were focused on food quality or, you know, just that this was a food product. Um, you know, we didn't want birds flying around in the, uh, the kilning rooms. Um, we wanted to let brewers or growers, excuse me, know that these were going to go and into the beer as dry hops into cold side, that sanitation was important to us, etc. And we do have a, a technical committee within our group and, and it's led by Tom Nielsen of Sierra Nevada. So we have a real, brewing and hop scientist helping lead some of our work. And that led us towards a study on kilning temperatures, for instance, thinking that, you know, if if we could give some guidance on what temperatures might be optimal to retain oils and hops, that might be useful both to growers and brewers ultimately. Um, and now, yes, we're looking at thiols and doing more <laughs> GCMS and um, you know, thiol analysis. And we've actually, we now are sponsoring a public breeding program. And so because we're doing hop breeding as a group, we're trying to up our analysis abilities um, and, and use some real science to guide us towards picking the right cultivars to take forward um, in that breeding program. So absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like that's probably the most exciting 
um, stuff that's going on in hops and in brewing these days are our understanding of the chemistry and our ability to take that understanding and apply it to brewing and have a real impact. Um, a lot of that's happened through breeding, of course. You know, we have all these new and amazing cultivars that we're working with um, that bring now, you know, an array of tropical and other characteristics to beer that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about hoppy beer in that way. And that's the challenge. The development cycle is such a long development cycle for new hop varieties that, you know, it's often 10 years after the, 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 the hops across that they first land in a beer. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a long road. Maybe, you know, you, you make that first cross and then 10 years later, brewers aren't even interested in the flavors you were trying to go after. <laughs> and and you, you, you raise a good point because the flavors that consumers or the, at least the styles that consumers are longing for, according to market um, these days, are, are vastly different from the, the, the beers that were being served up in 2010 or 2012. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just you look at what's grown. I'll, I'll talk about what's grown in the United States. Cascade was the number one variety 10 years ago. Um, that was a hop that was released back in 1972. So, you know, it took a while for it to gain favor amongst brewers. And once it did, you know, beers like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale popular, popularized that variety and the flavor profile that it brought. Um, you know, now we don't talk so much about Cascade. The number one grown variety in the U.S. is um, Citra and the close second now is Mosaic. And by the way, the big industrial, uh, lager producers aren't using either of those hops. So that also tells you who's buying the lion's share of the volume of hops these days. And it's craft brewers. And mm. nobody would have said that was going to be the lay of the land 20 years ago. There's no way that <laughs> craft brewers were going to buy more hops than the large, uh, commercial brewers, but that's where we're at today. There's a whole conversation that we could have around the economic ecosystem that sprung up around uh, craft beer, um, and, and hops is just one of those things. And I know HPA, who you're visiting when you're down here, say that they probably wouldn't have Australian hops if it was left to alpha, um, you know, alpha-based hops that were com grown for, as a commodity. Yeah, and by the way, Galaxy was probably bred to be a high alpha hop, and you know, they just realized, oh my gosh, this thing not only is high in alpha, but it's got an absolutely unique and beautiful aroma. Um, yeah. And so, you know, back to the hop quality group, I mean, we were kind of born at that transitional period where things were transitioning from a very lager focused hop growing, um, you know, uh, system, ecosystem, as you said, to a very craft driven ecosystem simply from the standpoint that you know we may use two or three pounds per barrel uh hops you know in our beer while a, a large lager producer might use you know a fraction of that um, and that's why we have so much uh, influence i guess on the total system what what got you into brewing in the first place i, I should step right back and you know was it, was it so you could investigate complex chemistry in 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 an agricultural product or was it just for the love of beer well funny enough my first job uh beer beer industry or beer related job was a hop chemist for a company in kalamazoo michigan so 
it's you know one of those rare cases where I happened to go to university in a town that not only had a great craft brewery, which was Bell's Brewing Company in Kalamazoo, Michigan, mm-hmm. but also one of the you know single digit hop producer or hop uh, downstream hop products producers was also based in Kalamazoo called Calsec. Um, it was a spa- spice extraction company that also made hop extracts for the brewing industry. So I did a college internship at that lab or at that company and then signed on to work for them for a few years after university. Um, yeah, so I did start out as a hop chemist, but as soon as I found out I could make a living as a brewer, I kind of switched caps and went that direction. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like to some extent you're straddling both uh, fields these days. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I got bit by hops early on and, um, it, it's always been a fascination, curiosity and a passion of mine. Um, I mean, I think that's why the, the, the teaching through hop growers of America was such a natural fit. Um, and I was just so blessed to have early exposure in at least a baseline understanding of the chemistry so that as a brewer, I really felt like I had a, uh, you know, a, a handle at least on, on the basics there. But, you know, and, and you know this as well, and, and it sounds like you've talked to Stan Aronimus about this as well, is that I just like, it's an onion that you just keep peeling back and hop chemistry and, and our you know, our understanding of hops and, and flavor active compounds and how best to use them just keeps evolving. And, um, you know, I suppose we're also blessed to come into this industry at a time when it was just blossoming in this area. Um, and all these new cultivars are available and all these hop driven beers have been popular. And yeah, it's just been a good time to be a brewer. <laughs> <laughs> that in itself is an interesting thought. Um, because so much of the modern craft beer movement came about because people discovered hops and beer could taste different than ever before. But at the same time, it wasn't driven by the big companies. It was driven by people often experimenting in their garages. And you know, the legalization of home brewing enabled these hops to be used and experimented with safely. And so many breweries were founded by hobbyists, for example. And yet, fast forward well, 40 years in the States, probably 20, 25 years in Australia. And, you know, you've got 9,000 breweries in the States that are all vying for the market. So is there still room for the hobbyist to, you know, the hobbyist made good? Or how much do modern day brewers need to have a professional science, you know, a, 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 a willingness to embrace the science as much as the craft? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question exactly. I, I mean, I do believe that the the craft industry was born out of. We we know that it was born out of these this hobby. I was a home brewer before, um, you know, I became a quote unquote professional, or at least got my paycheck from making beer. And I still feel like, in fact, you know, we might be on the the third or even fourth wave of craft beer in terms of you know, uh, the evolution of this business. You know, I, I think mm. that um, we end up doing collaborations on a fairly regular basis. And I recently just went down and did a collaboration um, with a lager brewer called Energren down in Moore Park, California. And I love those experiences where I go into a relatively young, you know, five or six year old brewery in this case. So certainly got their legs under them, but a relatively young brewery that was also born out of, you know, a home brewer's passion 
Um, and just to see the fire and to see the energy and to see the passion and, and just this willingness to experiment and, and trying, you know, and that's what this business is all about. Right. So I think, you know, the, the fact that we see, we still see a growth in new breweries and small mm. breweries can survive, you know, in, in this whole program. And, and now it, I guess this, this go round has been a lot of direct to consumer um, small breweries that get that, you know, they get the instant feedback of putting a beer in someone's hands, getting the feedback, being able to brew small batches, make changes rapidly. Um, large breweries don't have that luxury so much. Um, and so I think it's key to the whole thing that the, the health of the business, the moving forward. Um, and before I forget, you know, just to, 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 to also talk about the, the health of the hop growers community and the fact that craft brewers, you know, focused on these better varieties, were willing to pay a little bit more for them, were using more per barrel, really helped bring, you know, health back to the hop growing community too. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I can mostly speak for the U.S. growers, but I think this is one of the, the best times to be a hop grower. You know, there's this great craft community supporting their work. There's a ton of new breeding um, activity going on. Uh, brewers are paying a proper price for these hops. So growers are able to reinvest into their farms. And, um, you know, that's really important, really important. Oh, there's a whole a whole conversation that we could have around the economics <laughs> and the but I I, I won't hijack uh, this chat here. Maybe it's something we can pick up at a later date. Um, but one of the things that we have seen, it, it's interesting you talk about you know three or four iterations of 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 the brewing cycle and the craft brewing cycle because it was beers like um, little creatures uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale that inspired little creatures down here. Um, with a very similar beer that ignited passions. And, you know, even when I started writing about the industry 15 or 20 plus years ago, 20, 25 years ago, and developing a passion for beer, it was classic styles like wheat beers, um, Belgian wheat beers, uh, those styles that got supplanted by hops and the, the, the quest for hops. And then we've seen a whole hops create a whole range of new styles, whether it was a Cascadian dark ale you know, for, for a hoppy porter and then uh, hazies and beers that weren't even conceived about um, at, at, at the start that have largely been driven by hops. But I, I just seem to be picking up, you know, Maybe it's the green shoots of a rediscovery of classic Belgian styles or, you know, even people that have once championed hoppy beers discovering the beauty of a great lager um, and they're starting to get a little bit of attention. What are you seeing as as, as a brewer? Um, you know, it, it, I, I'm not going to write off hazies yet, but uh, <laughs> are you starting to see a, a breadth of interest in, in, in the market? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems to happen first with the brewers. And so we're definitely seeing those same trends. I mean, I, I'm, I always say like the pendulum swings back a little bit. I mean, we took, we've taken IPAs to some real extremes, whether it's, you know, double and triple hazy and West Coast IPAs. And even, you know, you just talk about that pendulum swinging back from hazy to, you know, West Coast IPAs. We're seeing that here in California, I think around the country, a lot of brewers are still making some hazies because there's, you know, there, there are fans. But 
they're focusing a little more attention onto their you know, call them clear IPA programs, but the new modern West Coast IPA is taking some tips from the hazy IPAs. They're using some of the new hop cultivars to bring, you know, rounder soft fruit character and tropical fruit character. They're lowering the bitterness, um, maybe drying them out a little bit and not using as much specialty malt. So that pendulum came back and the beer isn't exactly what it was. Um, and then, yeah, talk about lager brewing. I mean, I'm so, I'm, I, I love lager beers. Um, you know, Pivo is probably my go-to beer in our program. If I had to choose one, I love all my children, but that's the one that's in, <laughs> in the front and center in the fridge at all times. And, um, so I've always had a passion for brewing lager beer and we've started to integrate lager yeast into our IPA program, you know, so there's all these crisscrosses that are occurring. Um, but to answer your question a little more uh, directly, yes, we are seeing some uh, resurgence in interest in lager beer brewing. And with that, a lot of these new and modern small craft brewers have the technology now where they can really brew great lager beer. Um, you know, I think, you know, some of the old ale kits, single infusion, you know, maybe didn't even have the right refrigeration to get the work cold enough for those fermentations, didn't allow for perfection in lager brewing. And now most brewers have a kit that allows them to do all of these things. So um, even dabbling in decoction is quite popular <laughs> these days. Again, another, it's just why I had to cut off the, the, the chat about the ecosystem because, you know, so many brewers at the foundations of the craft beer movement were using repurposed dairy equipment or you know hand-me-down breweries and we now have an industry that is supplying brewers with whatever they want in terms of the pots and pans yep absolutely i'm i'm often jealous uh walking into these relatively small breweries that have just about every bell and whistle that you know i work 10 20 years to get dissolved <laughs> oxygen meters and all sorts of wonderful toys, but you know, it, overall, it just you know, it 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 the, the quality continues to rise, and that's such a it's important for the health of our industry, but it's it's really important for beer lovers and makes it it's it's really exciting. <laughs> I'm 53, so I, I constantly get this uh, from my adult children. But do the kids have it too easy these days, Matt? Well. It's easy for me to say that because I've been around. I brewed on pots yeah. and pans for, you know, but yeah, yeah maybe. Um, but it keeps me honest too. You know, I got to keep, uh, I got to keep everything tuned up as well. But I, I, I guess that's one of the beauties of being in an industry that, you know, we, we've been brewing as long as we've had civilization. But, you know, when you look at the way that the industry, you know, it is less than 30, 40 years old and we've seen it grow and evolve so and hops feature in this as well the, the 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 rate at which new varieties are coming on the market these days is accelerated and the access to equipment is accelerated where do you think the industry can go from here well i think we're seeing it already in downstream products so you know hop chemists and and hop merchants have been trading concentrated pellets and hop extracts for a long time but they're really refining that art and again um creating products specific for craft brewers needs so you know these products like you know trade names i'm going to throw out there and, and just yep. as an example incognito um cryo pellets um and and some of these others and then 
at least here in the United States, and I'm sure it's happening around the world, but this kind of legalization of cannabis has created a whole nother industry. And these two plants are so closely related that some of the advanced extract technologies used in the cannabis industry are now being applied to hops, bringing a whole new level of technology and downstream products to brewers. So I think I, I think that's something we're going to be talking a lot about in the coming years. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's always a little bit of a, uh, you know, it's, it's, can you replace hops completely with these products? And I always say no. So, you know, hop growers don't need to worry. We're still going to need hops. We're still going to need whole hops and, and T90 pellets. But they give additional tools in the toolbox for brewers to create interesting, um, you know, flavors and, and new beers and also work on the efficiency of our process. I think one thing craft brewers haven't been as focused on and are going to need to be to stay competitive and to stay relevant is you know, just, uh, you know, not just from a, an environmental sustainability standpoint, but just from a business sustainability standpoint of being more efficient with our raw materials. But uh, you, you've raised two uh, really powerful arguments there. You know, one, sustainability, shipping leaf around the world as opposed to shipping flavor around the world um, is, is going to, I would imagine, become increasingly important for brewers to be aware of as the consumer becomes more aware of the sustainability of their product. Yep, absolutely. And the brewer just wants to make wholesome, flavorful products. Um, and so as these products evolve, you know, that's going to be the, the aim uh, and and I think we keep getting closer and closer, but I, we still haven't figured out how to replace the hops. I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole of these genetically modified yeasts and some of these products that are trying to replicate hop flavors and other means. Um, mm. You know, that's part of it too. And I think we got to step carefully there. Um, but all of this is kind of coming together at the same time and space, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. And there's had to be a fascinating conversation in the industry again going back to when we used to debate what craft was and it was small traditional and independent and traditional certainly didn't include um you know enzyme the use of enzymes and the use of extracts and things like that <laughs> which you know it, <laughs> and the, the ryan heitzkabot didn't include glitter um either <laughs> but, but, but uh um it's been an important conversation to have um, as, as consumers do look for flavor and consistency and some of these other elements, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, I think on that subject, I, I had the, the, the opportunity to do a brewing sabbatical uh, in 2019 in Belgium. And I worked in the Duval Brewery for a year. And I think, you know, everyone's like, oh, what did you bring home and how did you change your brewing? But I think what I realized is that you know, the, the, the Belgian brewing community brewed more like we as craft brewers brew than the Reinheitsgebot German brewers that we read so much about and thought we were emulating. I think that the Belgian brewers really were the original craft brewers, the ones that were willing to use a little bit of science and a lot of artistry to just work on great flavor. You know, they used spices, they used adjunct sugars, they played with different yeasts, they even allowed things to sour. You know, all these things that, you know, probably a Weinsteffen um, graduate would say was all like, you know, off limits and not really beer, right? So 
um, it's not like we invented all of this creativity and the, the means to, to, to making flavor, more flavorful beers. I think we're just kind of, you know, beer just kind of keeps reinventing itself and churning some of these things over and over again. Um, so it all works itself through and works itself out in the end. And the best beer always wins, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we hope. We hope. One of the things that we've seen, again, in, in, in the way that the industry is shaped around um, providing brewers with more tools um, and hops in, in included, but we've also seen consumers demanding an ever-changing array of offerings that you know makes it very very hard i'd imagine for 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 brewers to find consistency by dialing in a a recipe consistently um but then also finding that sweet spot for profitability by being able to get scale on 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 any one beer is that do you see that changing or do you hope that that's something that changes or do you are you constantly you know in enlivened by the by the need to rediscover it's it's both um stimulating and frustrating all at the same time because the the beer consumer um at least here where we're making beer is always looking for something new um and so whereas you know not it didn't seem like that long ago but it probably was 10 or 20 years ago you know we could have a small (laughs) stable of beers our you know pale amber and dark beer and 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 our hoppy beer and kind of go to trade and all was good and we could keep perfecting those beers over time and now we have to have this vast array of all these different flavors and we're constantly changing things and consumers always looking for what's next and mix packs and all these crazy things treasure beers and um that's just forced us to um, kind of take a step back and at least in our organization realize like all of that can't come just from the, you know, the desk of the brewmaster, so to speak. So we have, um, you know, kind of created an R&D group, um, which are just our most curious and forward thinking brewers and giving them some space to work. Um, it gave us the opportunity to buy a, a you know, a, a test kit or a, a pilot brewery kit. So we have a small scale brewery to work with. Um, we bought a number of what we affectionately call the little MFers, which are little mini fermenters that we do a bunch of single hop, or we might do a fruit trial or a yeast trial in. And so, um, you know, we're trying to take advantage of that kind of insatiable, um, thirst for new beers and, do it some justice through some, you know, organized R&D or, you know, it's a little bit of organized <laughs> chaos, quite honestly, but it's just trying to come up with ways of using all these new hops to create new products. And of course, again, where is my passion? My passion lies with hoppy beers predominantly. And so getting to play with all these new hop cultivars um, has been really interesting, a really interesting journey. And it, and it makes this trip to Australia and then I'll, I'll, I'll do a side trip over to New Zealand um, so worth it. So I'll get to, you know, see this on the ground um, and hopefully bring some uh, something new home with me in terms of, um, yeah, for our R&D program, some new hop cultivars or some new understanding of those hops. We had a very quick chat off mic that I normally don't like um, referencing for, for the listener who wasn't party to it, but you did talk a little bit about the XPA and saying that uh, it was something that had a very much an Australian um, flavor, for want of a better word, and the U.S. brewers hadn't quite managed to replicate what you've tasted down here. No, absolutely. And it's, 
Um, it was one of the things that stuck with me from my very first trip. And now whenever I'm there, I, I, I seek XBAs out. And I just think it's this, it's this beautiful light beer, um, low in alcohol. And at least the ones that I'm most fascinated with really have that Southern Hemisphere hop essence. And it's never, when, when done right, it's never overdone, right? Um, and no, I don't think that we've really figured out how to do that here, or I, I can't think of a great example here in the United States. I mean, we had our little um, kind of session IPA, um, you know, thing happen here. Um, and I think, you know, we've always made pale ales. You mentioned Sierra Nevada pale ale before, and maybe there's too much gray area between for the average consumer. Um, but I know that's the beer I'm going to be seeking out when I get back over there for sure. <laughs> And that's one of the things that fascinates me because I'm always fascinated by the way things like you know the regulatory environment and some of the things that aren't actually technically um, involved in the brewing industry. But you know, for example, Australia has a very different tax regime to to the US that brewers have to be mindful of. Um, and I always found the the US version of a session IPA, my my pet name for it was an unbalanced pale ale Um, (laughs) because they were were trying to sort of bring it down, but it was still had that, whereas the the Australian brewers seem to have had an imperative to create a beer that had a lot more balance, but wasn't quite a a pale ale. And I, I do wonder how much some factors outside of the true brewing landscape shape consumer palates and shape the brewing environment. Yeah. No, I mean you're 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 so right there, and I feel like that's usually the case in most American styles. We like to supersize everything, right? We kind of just go a little over the top, whether it's with the hops or with the alcohol. So, <laughs> and and maybe some of the problem is is because there isn't a difference in taxation on alcohol, then the consumer doesn't see that doesn't see the value relative to the five, six, and seven percent stronger beers that they can buy for the same price. But again, if it wasn't for that mindset that you know we do sometimes see in American brewers and the American culture, we probably would never have had Sierra Nevada in the first place. That's um, true. That's very true. Because it, in its day, it was so different from anything else that we saw, and everything has been built on up from there. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you met a brewer that doesn't mention Sierra Nevada somewhere in terms of inspiration? Oh God, you, you've opened a new door that we're going to have to walk into now because. I'm incre- I increasingly do, and, and I guess that's where these these younger brewers. Um, I'm, I'm not sure um, how old you are um, I- exactly, but you know, I, I'm increasingly meeting brewers who have been inspired by the selection of beers that they've had access to since they ever got the ability to drink legally, and don't remember a time when brewers were actually motivated by the lack of choice right. that they had, um, <laughs> and. You know that mindset will have a uh, have have a huge impact on when when craft IPA was my dad's beer. You're like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I do wonder because if brewing is a mindset um, in, in in a way, what mindset that brings to it and where that will take the industry uh, uh, eventually. Yeah, well, and maybe that's where people are discovering lager beers and discovering traditional wit beer thing you know these types of styles all over again so you know i don't know (laughs) they're going from the monoculture of hazies back to the monoculture of lagers (laughs) (laughs) it's so refreshing (laughs) 
<laughs> Matt, I could talk about it. Hopefully, we will get a chance to have a beer uh, when you're down. I'm not sure whether I'm going to get to Tassie for the or Tasmania for the half leg of the the, the, the tour, but um, and I'll be at the Institute of Brewing and Distilling Conference instead of at the High Country Hops. But it's been wonderful to have this conversation with beer about you. Enjoy Australia and safe travels. Thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. And that was Matt Brennelson and one of those conversations that I really wish could have been had with beer in hand and no time pressure. There's a link to the ticketing page for the High Country Hop Technical Symposium in the show notes. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to and they can listen to you as well. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise with the show. If you're a listener, you can kick in a few dollars a month, price of a cup of coffee, sponsor a show, link in the show notes. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can join the conversation in our Facebook group. We'll be back later this week for all of the beer news and our thoughts on it with Brews News Week. We look forward to joining you then.